Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. This week, Daniel Elkin and Keith Silva join me for a slightly different episode of Classic Comics Cavalcade. This week, we talk about a new graphic novel, or at least one from 2018, Upgrade Soul by Ezra Clayton Daniels, published by Lion Forge. I think what you'll hear in the next hour is a fascinating conversation about a really intriguing graphic novel with a tremendous amount of depth and complexity to it that we all really appreciate. Um, it's one of my favorite episodes I've ever done. It's a slightly different episode compared to usual. We're not talking about old work. We're talking about new work, but hopefully 20 years from now, people will be reading this and it will be a classic at that time. So, hey, we're ahead of the times. Please let me know what you think. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, or leave feedback for the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast engine. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. All right. Upgrade Soul. Upgrade Soul by Ezra Clayton Daniels, published last year, I believe, 2018, Mm -hmm. by Lion Forge. Daniel, why do you recommend this to us? Uh, Because it's amazing. Okay. That's <laughs> all well, I got to say, man. It's amazing, right? I mean, I know I like my science fiction to be transhumanist science fiction, and you don't get much more transhumanist than this. So, And plus, I mean, identity is one of the things that I'm constantly fascinated by, and this book goes deep, deep, deep into concepts of identity. So why wouldn't I recommend it? I, I really enjoyed it, um, and I'm still trying to get my head around what I read after a couple of rereadings of it. Um, there's just so much there around identity in kind of multiple ways, around aging, about around uh, racial identity, around body identity, about the memory, family relations. It's just, there's just so many levels that this book works on that... Um, oh, yeah. It really is a haunting piece of work. I agree completely. I'm going to not throw cold water onto this discussion. Oh, no, you're going to, aren't you? <laughs> no, it's, it's lukewarm. Okay. <laughs> um, I enjoyed it uh, as much as you guys did. Well, maybe not. I can't really, uh, you know, totally know what you thought. We haven't really got into it yet. I, this was a slow developer for me. And it was, it took a little while, I want to say over half the book, uh, reading it, trying to figure out what was going on, what it was about. And then sort of in the middle, it sort of locks in place. And that's the one thing I would say for anyone who was like, okay, what's this thing about is slow starters, not fair, but this is a, this is a build. This is a journey. This takes time. It takes time to develop. It takes time to sort of uh, figure out what this is all about because it's not clear, I don't think, from the jump what kind of science fiction that you're reading. I think for me, it took time for me to lock into the narrative. But once I was in there, I was in there. And I, and I saw a lot of things in it. Uh, identity is obvious. But for me, this is a... I know this is the best Frankenstein story I've read in maybe a long time, 20, 30 years. I mean, I can't tell you the last good one I read, but to me, this is head and shoulders, you know, a Frankenstein story and creation, 
meaning, all those sorts of things that Frankenstein deals with. So let's talk about the slow burn first. Did that bother you? It takes so long to kind of come around to something. Uh, I think whenever there's a whenever I always think that that complaint or that criticism has to do more with mood than anything else. And if you're not in the mood to sort of sit with something and enjoy it and let it develop, at least for me, if you're like, okay, what happens next? You know, let's get on to this. What's happening? What's going on? Who are these people? And I think the other thing too is, um, you know, uh, it's got nothing to do with the cartooning. It's got nothing to do with the, the, the drawing per se, but the characters that you have to root for are not, they're, 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 they're supposed to be, you know, weird looking and ugly in some ways and, and not something that you sort of like, yeah, that's what I want to aspire to. I mean, that's one of the tricks the book plays, right? Is you think you're going to get this one thing and you're given something totally different that is unexpected. And also I think that you can't, uh, and that's what makes the book great as well, is there's so much unexpected, unexpectedness that happens that I think is really a key to why this book is so deep and why this book is, um, what was Dan's word? Great. <laughs> yeah. My insightful criticism. Yes. Your insightful uh, criticism. I, I'm curious, Keith, as to which characters you felt that you were supposed to be rooting for. Oh, that's a good question. I think you're, I think you, you're, I think that changes. I think you want to root for the nonners. How do you, how do you pronounce their last name? Uh, that's how I would pronounce that's how you would say it. I'd say, yeah. Nonner. Yeah. I, I, I think you're supposed to root for them. I think you're supposed to think like, oh, cool. They're, they're going through this amazing process that you don't really understand at first, that you don't really, um, know what is happening and why they end up you know, the way they end up or, or what it is. Um, so I think it's really hard. I think your sympathies change as you go through the book. There's not a, there's not one person that you sort of lock in on and that's who you're rooting for, as you said. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's actually a sympathetic character really in this book. I mean, everybody's so flawed and so motivated by self-interest in this book that I found it hard to feel connected to any of them. And yet all the things that they're going through, there's enough there to keep me engaged with them in terms of their emotions and their, their purposes. Do you think this is a little bit of what Daniels is getting at in the book is that we can be perfected, but in some ways, but we're ultimately going to be imperfect in part because our souls are such that um, we carry, as you like to say, Keith, we contain multitudes. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> Many others have said it. <laughs> actually, yeah, that's actually true. That's that's that. Uh, Elkin and his Walt Whitman obsession. I I, that's right. That's right. Give credit where credit's due. <laughs> um, but I think I think you're onto something there, Jason. Um, and, and I think it boils down once again to questions of identity is that uh, are we the sum total of our experiences and what happens when we lose our memory and are we still who we were um, or who we are? And um, I kind of lost my 
train of thought now. So, but these people don't lose their memories; they get an upgrade, right? They get they get their memories transferred into these other bodies, uh, these other doppelgangers. I don't know what you want to call them. That's true, but they still exist in space, right? And they need to be near each other themselves and their doppelganger in order to not suffer. Um, But as they lose their memories, their doppelganger uh, increases in their memories. uh, And so who does the shell become then? The original Hank. Who's the original Hank? Is he still Hank? Mm. Or is he now Henry? Right. Does it even matter who's the original on some level? It does to Hank. Yeah. <laughs> and it does to Henry. <laughs> yeah. it, it, well, it does to Hank and it does to Henry, but I'm not sure it does to Molly. She seems extremely happy in her new self. Very well, kind of... I don't know if that's true. Okay. <laughs> because she, she, seems, she seems to be mourning a lot of the loss, right? Of yeah. her uh, faculties. And then she makes that sacrifice. Well, I guess not. You know, it's not Molly that makes the sacrifice. It's no. Ma- Manuela that makes the yeah. sacrifice. Right? But Molly pays the price for that. But right. Then, but Molly has the happy ending. Maybe. Does she? I yeah, know. I'd like to talk about the ending. Yeah. I'd like to talk about what you... When, when, once we get there. Once okay. we get there. Um, I, I, one of the things I was wondering about as you were reading it, did you... Did you... Would you consider the process? Would you consider... I think that's one thing that this book asks is it's an ultimate, like, would you if you could... Would you go through this essentially becoming your best self? Is that, that that's kind of what the process is about, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's freedom from pain, freedom from your physical ailments, uh, greater strength, greater mental capacity. I don't know, but is then if you get all those upgrades, are you still you? Why does, the pain, does the pain of your life define who you are? Well, I'm not sure the diabetes and the creaking bones and the lost memory has to define who you are. And I think that's why they make the decision, uh, especially Molly does, because she just she feels trapped in this body that's continually in decline and it doesn't represent the true self that she believes that she is. The, but is she who she is because of those those ailments i mean has she become the molly that she is because she suffers the pains that she does without the absence of those problems would she still be that version of molly yeah that's definitely the question the the book brings up um i don't know i i'm i'm always stuck on the idea that so many of us reach a decline phase in our life where no matter what we do, at, cert- at a certain point, everything seems to fall apart. And we've all, we've yeah. all had loved ones who um, are just as shallow of their former selves before they pass away. And it's tragic because you knew the person they used to be. And I see this as kind of this vain attempt, vain attempt or valiant attempt, 
to maintain the person who you once aspired to become. But it's not so much of the person you aspire to become. It's it's like you become a superhero. That's the one place where I also sort of, you know, it's like you're gifted with these abilities, whether it's flight or, you know, healing factor or whatever. Mm-hmm. These people are being told, look, we're going to take, they never really explain explain it which is fine with me and i don't need i don't need the science explained to me in this particular story uh but you're going to get a brand new self and you're going to be your best self you know all those things that you have you know you're essentially going to be smarter uh everything is about you is going to be better it's it's an upgrade from your decline you get to it's like a second life Mm -hmm. but a better life you know free of disease free of you know, all these things that are happening to you as you age. Um, well, I want to jump on the word better there, though. I mean, it's the perceived better. It's the sense that, well, this is what's bothering me right now. So if that wasn't happening, I would be better. But are you really better for not having those things? What are, I mean, if you look at Hank's arc, uh, yeah, sure, he doesn't have the physical ailments anymore, but what happens to that little potato-looking guy mm-hmm. towards the end? I mean, he's certainly not the better self at all. Mm-hmm. He's incredibly selfish. But he's always been incredibly selfish. Yeah. One of the things I think is, one of the things I think, I, I thought it was underdeveloped at first, and then I thought, no, it's, 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 uh, developed, developed, so just right, just rightly developed is he's uh, he's inherited everything that his father uh, had with the slain character. Yes, he followed in his footsteps, right. but he is the upgraded version of his dad's uh, creativity, mm-hmm. or you know, with the slain character. And that was one of the things I thought. You know, the book operates on these levels that you necessarily don't see the first time off. I mean, you know, he's now the, the what do you call that? Not the protector of his father's legacy, but um, he's carrying on his father's legacy. He's an upgraded version of the person who created this this character and who's made him, you know, apparently incredibly rich and, and, and able to do this, you know, experimental scientific technique or whatever but but he keeps holding on to the idea that originally this was what a uh what I write down here a post-slavery allegory that the character, <laughs> yeah, the character yeah. was designed to be that and in his hands in in uh Hank's hands, it he sells it out right whether he does so willingly or not that's what happens it loses that edge um, so in a way he's corrupted his father's original IP. Yeah. There's an intention there. Like he says, slain ex- evolves with the times. That's why a straight adaptation would be- make sense. And then he gives into it and becomes even richer. Um, so do you feel like, and there's there element of like, I didn't get to achieve what I really wanted to do in my life. So, um, I want to achieve this again. In the same way that Molly doesn't receive the awards that uh, Victoria Teal receives, and so she wants another chance to become, you know, the greatest world-renowned scientist in her field. 
it's definitely about second chances. I mean, that's definitely one of the themes of the book is, but you get to, you get to, um, you get to direct your second chance. You don't just get, you get a chance to start over, but you're the architect of your second chance. Mm -hmm. It's not given to you. You actually buy it. You actually, you know, uh, do it yourself. It's not like a wish. It's not, you know, fairy godmother or fairy tale sort of thing. Right. Your your identity develops in a way that you're able to achieve Correct. the thing that you want to do. There's not a shortcut there. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I, Even I, though it is the ultimate shortcut. It, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I also, I, you, said, you, get, you said the word second chance there, and that, that just sparks something in my head about the ending of the book as well. Okay, but let's go maybe, there. Okay, uh, just that that this is another generation, right? The the young she, niece, I guess she is. Yeah. Um, that's where we end, right? That relationship between Molly and and the niece, and so in the niece, then there's the second chance. I mean, that's why we have kids, right? Is that we want to see them do better than us, and that's. I think it's, it's so potent in that moment there at the end. I mean, the end is, it's sort of a happy ending, but it's not a happy ending. And yet it, it ends on a hopeful message because here's the next generation. Why is it not a happy ending? Because Molly's been through so much, right? Okay. I, I, don't, I don't see her as a happy person at the end of all this. Maybe wiser. Certainly wiser. And sadder maybe, and wiser yeah maybe therefore better able to transfer knowledge and experience to the next generation yeah i would say that makes her a better person with a better perspective maybe maybe i read the ending as the, the you know the daughter is just going to repeat the same mistakes oh, or really? the niece is going to repeat yeah. the same mistakes of her of her uh oh. because you know, she wants to play doctor. Or right, she, right. She yeah. wants to play science. She wants yeah, to be right. Victor Frankenstein. Yeah. You know, right. she wants to be Doctor Frankenstein again and be like, "You didn't do it. You you didn't achieve it, but I will. I can." That's and it's a, a book. Point. It's also a bookend with the beginning because in right. the beginning, mm-hmm. it's the same sort of thing. It's her relationship with the with the niece, and then at the end, like. I, you're not left to say, you know, it's not like Molly says, oh, no, don't do that. You know, uh, don't don't play with science or don't don't play with these things. She just kind of says, that's a great idea. Yeah, and, right. and, and it's it's ambiguous. But for me, I read it as like, oh, my God, you know, the niece is going to be a potato person in another uh, 30 years or whatever. There's a couple of really interesting touches in the beginning and ending. So the beginning is the main color is yellow and like a pastel green like sunrise colors mm-hmm. and the very end are sunset colors predominantly green and it's like i don't know like optimism versus pessimism i also think it's very interesting that she's experimenting with her rabbit at the beginning and the experiment fails because right. of something they didn't anticipate ironically since i see your cat a cat yes. <laughs> Hello, kitty cat. Yes. Hello, Hobbs. How are you? Hobbs <laughs> is on the Google Hangout. Hobbs is on the Google Hangout. Um, I, I think there's something very intentional in that. 
I, yeah. you're, you're absolutely right about the colors. Um, you know, the colors at the end, it's greens, greens and yellows, and you want to call them sunrise, they could as easily be sunset colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I get your I get your point, Jason, and I do think it's something that has to be reconciled uh, in the book. I'll, I mean, all the art needs to be, but the colors in this book are very, very specific. They change, they represent moods, you know, uh, uh Daniels knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're in safe hands. Yeah. And then we, you probably noticed too, I hadn't noticed this in my first read that um, the scenes at the beginning, um, the rabbit's trapped in these boxes of slain cereal, which like went right past me like the first couple times I looked through it. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting too. It's like, symbolically that the character box the family in yeah yeah and that it's so disposable that you know it's a cereal box and you can just use it to recreate something to build something anew as well you could you could see that in it too i mean it's a cereal box but she changes it into this maze and this experiment i guess mm-hmm. yeah good catch jason and really moment, something that is branded le- that way as well it loses a lot of its thematic potency. Uh, yeah potency yeah. so uh it, it talks to a lot of the themes that are going on in the, mm-hmm. yeah yeah the potency the, the legacy of, of what you create what your legacy actually is i mean it's yeah. also very striking that molly says at one point i'm not sure i have a legacy i'm passing on um, when she clearly accomplished a lot in her career, um, she's concerned she, about her permanence, yeah, which did, I guess she we all get are. The recognition that she was looking for, though. Yeah. So she feels like she's a failure. Yeah. But she's also a failure when she becomes Manuela because there's no recognition there either. Mm-hmm. No, no one ever finds out what happened. You know, this amazing process goes. Uh, you know, goes unheard of. There's all sorts of legal uh, ramifications. I forget what they say, you know, uh, not cease and desist, but um, uh, NDA. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Our NDA forbids. Yeah. Talk about this. So in some ways it's a success, in some ways it's a failure. And I think that's what gives the book its kind of haunting nature in part. But also, I think the slow burn also gives it that that feeling. It is a much more novelistic feel yes. than a lot of graphic novels I've read. Yeah. And the fact that it takes 100 or so pages before it really takes shape, I think is a benefit of it. And it's why it wouldn't work as a serialized work. Absolutely. I think one of the things uh, I was having this discussion about Once Upon a Time in America, and the first hour of that movie is establishing these characters who they are how they interact how they you know who they are in the world and where they are and it's a lot of setup but it's also necessary for when you actually see the end happen why it all sort of fits together and novelistic is the right word jason because this this is very a very novelistic uh comic if you will one one thing that daniels does in the narrative also is he he really plays with uh time also so much of this 
um, book is moving forward, but so much of it also is told in flashbacks as well. Mm-hmm. And so that throws you off a little bit as well and adds to the slow development. You don't quite understand motivation until you see the flashback that occurs. Right. And it could have happened three quarters of the way into the book before you realize, ah, there we go. That was right. that. Right. Um, I, I don't want to uh, hijack the conversation, but I do want to know what you made of Lena. Because I I was very curious about what you, how, I mean, when you said earlier, Daniel, that, you know, uh, who did you root for in the story? And uh, I rooted for Lena for a real long time. Yeah, yeah, you did, right? Yeah. And then I didn't. Right. Right. But it's interesting that you lose, well, or at least for me, I lost that connection with her when she finally has agency though yeah Ooh, keep going with that point. keep going yeah keep going well when she starts to take matters into her own hands and stands up i mean the, the book ends with her making the demands right she's the one who has now taken over the process so there's but she's, uh, there's but so she, <laughs> but she's also the one that does all sorts of other stuff too. Yeah, oh, she does. <laughs> yeah, she literally spikes the IV. I mean, uh... yeah, yeah. She, she, he's a murderer. Mm-hmm. And she's also. I mean, there's that subtle revelation that it's her eggs that are being mm-hmm. used for these experiments as well. So she's fallen in love with her own son, right? Sort of, in a way, and how she reacts to that as well also it's it's complex stuff that's for sure yeah and i felt that that was uh, it it's the most soapy element of this like but it's also the most dramatic and you know it, it, it's really like oh my god you know that that sort of moment but it but it also makes her yeah it she changes in such a way. And I think all the characters in this story change either Mm -hmm. from your perception, how you think of them in the beginning to how, as they develop, but also they themselves like a novel, they change their own attitudes and their own, you know, not personalities, but maybe they, I don't know, maybe their real personalities are revealed. Um, I think that's a big part of the process is Manuela and Henry, you know, their identities, who they really are, you can't get rid of that. Hmm. Another thing that's interesting about Lena also is that her deformity is a result of this parasitic twin that she had, right? That the face oh. that she draws. Oh, right, right, right. Her mm-hmm. sister that she that she has absorbed or has been removed or something like that, and that idea of having the twin one of them surviving and the other one having survivor's guilt around that Mm. as well it really makes her a pretty complex character and in a way explains some of her actions maybe um but then there's also the added level of her brother's relationship to her uh which also is not a healthy relationship The understatement <laughs> <laughs> of the night. Her brother's relationship with Lena. 
not healthy. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you could. There's a reading of this that this whole book is basically an exploration of Lena and her brother's relationship, because mm-hmm. everything that happens is a result of that relationship. Wow. He built, yeah. he built this whole facility and does this whole upgrade cell experiment because he wants his sister to be quote unquote normal. Right. So there's that whole conversation as well. Well, that's a really interesting insight because that really does kind of pull the whole thing together so that then the story of the couple isn't really themselves. It's their faci- they're facilitating his helping the sister who then actually becomes more herself because of, of everything that happens around her. Yeah, um, and who she becomes is not very good. <laughs> and who she becomes, that's, maybe that's her true self, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that one is, th- that's definitely... Well, who she becomes know. is not very good, be- in part because she's never had any agency. In part because she's been abused. This is not too strong a word to use for her. No, not, not, not at all. Not at all. And you'll see that, right? That's that's the classic um, abuser taking their abuse out of the next generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which then you know dovetails into the end as well. I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think the aunt is taking is not abusing the niece at all, but you know facilitating that kind of uh, you know you know uh, drive or whatever. You know she doesn't tell her not to. But you don't really know, so I'm sort of on shaky ground with that one. Yeah. Um, do you think that that they would try this again? Do you think Upgrade Soul, you know, the facility or whatever, is just on hiatus until they can figure it out? Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, unequivocally. I, so I, this I, is going to happen again? Yeah, yeah. If not these characters, then some other character. So, yeah, that's that's man's folly. Yeah, right. Humankind's folly. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, Bride of Frankenstein, I suppose. Yeah, in a way. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I don't know how you get around it though, with all the infrastructure and everything else that's created around it, and the ego that's attached to a facility like this. Mm-hmm. You know, that's also something that that's a subtle little thing is the ego of the scientists and ego of the, the people striving to kind of be seen as top in their field as opposed to actually being top in their field and there's this great tiny little bit um when they're doing the initial demo of the facility where um i forget the name of the doctor comes on the is doing his presentation he's complaining about the lighting and all the other, these other kind of banal things that are really about him wanting everything to be just slightly more perfect and it shows this kind of right. frailty of people's emotions or whatever. Although, frankly, I do that all the time at work, too. <laughs> well, what's wrong with wanting something the way you want it? And I think that's the other thing the book is arguing, is saying, you know, if you could, would you? You know, if you could uh, make it perfect or as close to perfect as possible, how? why wouldn't you? Um you know what, what? 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 How easy is it to say no? And I think that's kind of, you know, nobody says no in this book. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, we all have this element of wanting everything to be perfect. I mean, right. Keith, you are the Peter Gabriel of writing. I mean, you want every note to be absolutely perfectly, uh, right. every word right. to be right there. Okay. <laughs> I specifically chose him because, you know, that's not an insult. I didn't take it as such. Tremendously talented man. you know to defend myself just slightly uh <laughs> trying to be understood and as clearly as possible uh but you know you're right is is there's a lot to it that is um feel and just sort of going with how you're feeling and your emotions rather than making it note perfect but i think for the characters in this book you know science is exact Mm-hmm. And this is not uh, th- these aren't the kinds of people that'll just sort of be like, you know, well, soul. <laughs> they wouldn't just sort of just go with the emotion of it. It has to be it has to be an upgraded soul, right? It has to be a perfect soul. But is there perfection in a soul? I mean, science has its limits. Uh, science can only go so far. Science can't touch the the soul of the person in a lot of ways. Do you think they're souls? I think that's one of the things that, you know, I didn't struggle with at all, but I thought to myself, they're souls, that their essence, right? Does that get transferred? And I thought that was one of the one of the things that the book um, you know, never really says one way or the other is so you actually think that uh, Hank and Molly are actually in these new bodies. I don't know. Well, then what's left behind? Yeah, I think that's the point with your identity thing, Dan, is, you know, uh, it's a who made who situation Mm -hmm. is, you know, where is where does one end and the other begin? And if all that got transferred is their knowledge and what and, and their their personalities, maybe, but not what makes them unique. And I think that's ultimately why Manuela makes the decision that she makes is she realizes she's just a copy. Yeah. It it goes back to the earlier point of your identity is created through both the good times and the bad times that you have. Experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're just transferring memories without the experience, I'm just going off here. Um, are you are you transferring the soul? And I I would say no. That I absolutely would agree that you know that, but they're but they do remember the experiences. They do remember the good and the bad. They just didn't experience them. Right. Right. They're just borrowed. They're right. just sort of you know passed over. So they could interpret them differently. Yeah. Because they don't have the same limitations. And they didn't really go through it. Right. They didn't not just go through it. They didn't dwell on it and think about it and, you know. Well, but if they're taking in the entirety of the experience, though, if they're taking in all the memories, isn't that sort of going through it? I mean, we do process our experience through our memories. So that is an argument of the, the continuation of the soul then. Yeah. So, I mean, if you 
don't just remember, I don't know, a fight you got in when you were 15, but uh, all your brooding about it afterwards, um, you're likely to come to the same conclusions whether you're actually in that body or not. Yeah. Are the doppelgangers more being told a story? I mean, I realize that they're getting sorry, I, everything. I, sorry, I, 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 no, go ahead. I'm wondering if that's like part of why they have the he calls out the meeting Ezra uh, Ezra Daniels calls out the meeting with the Hollywood person at the mm. beginning and the memories of the um, of the uh, you know all the memories Jason. yeah all the stuff at the beginning there sorry I gotta put my uh, no that's fine. Uh, to to kind of illustrate that there is that the shared memory or the shared continuity or the shared feelings, I guess, of these events that happen. Right, but I'm thinking in terms of story, as far as doppelgangers go, I guess we're to believe that they are, you know, everything got ported over, if you will, you know, lock, stock, and barrel, that they mm-hmm. got everything. So therefore, they are... They are Hank and Molly, just in different bodies. And that's the part where I'm not 100% sold on that, I guess. I'm I'm sort of thinking that even if that's the case, then – but that's not why I think Daniels is getting it. He's not saying that that it was just a carbon copy. And I'm thinking in terms of story, if – if you're told a story about what happened but you have those same memories, oh, I remember that, but it didn't really happen to you. Did it really happen to you? Yeah. I mean, it's this is picking nits. I get. Yeah, oh, yeah. And also, if you are now you're you have the rem- the memory of the experience, but you know now that your body wouldn't have to suffer those things anymore. Mm. That's going to change your relationship to that memory. Mm. Right. So yeah. you become different just because of that. Yeah, it, it, so you, well, I guess that's, not to pick on you, Daniel, it's a little bit of what you do when you're uh, trying to quit smoking, is you're trying to change your relationship to cigarettes. Yeah. And changing your, your reaction to it when you uh, think about lighting one. But you also are changing your relationships as well, as that's the problem with, you know, kicking any habit, is you can't go out and hang out with those people who used to do that with or whatever for the temptation of that um it's a good point yeah it's it's your set it's the people you're around as much as it is you trying to to kick whatever it is mm-hmm. do you think that the do you think what the nonners do is um not good but is it is it uh I can't think of the word I want. That's going to take me forever because I'm such a perfectionist to pick the exact right <laughs> word. Uh, noble. Noble. That's the oh, word I want. Noble. Do I think it's noble what they did? That was really yeah. well played, by the way, Keith. Thank, what, you. What, Thank you. What thing is noble? The whole process. The, the, whole the choices. The choice that they make. Is that a noble no. process? No. No, I don't think so at all. I think it's it's uh, the opposite of noble, whatever that is. Ignoble. <laughs> Ignoble. Um, because it's not confronting 
the truth. It's it's the stopgap. It's the, the jumping into the next phase without having to suffer through what it is. I mean, there's, you know, when I teach Macbeth, I teach Macbeth as a tragedy, and I say that he has a heroic moment at the end. He knows everything is conspired against him now. He knows he has no hope whatsoever, and yet he continues to fight on. And that in that moment, he becomes noble and heroic, even though he's a terrible, terrible person. That thing there grants him a, a, a small sliver of nobility. What the uh, nonners do, I think, is the opposite of that. They, they choose not to fight. They think they're noble, though. They think they're... Oh, they? I think they think they're devoting themselves to their love for science. Yeah, and the betterment of mankind, right? Yeah. That's yeah. what Victor Frankenstein thought, too. Right? That's what he thought, too. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, but I guess, in the end, again, this is the... This is that, you know, faced with the same choice, you know, it reminds me of the movie Quiz Show a little bit, you know, where he gets to the end and he says, you know, but think about it with the money, you know, how could you not say no? How could you, how could you say no? And he's like, I would say no. And I think that's easy to say, but, you know, this, 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 someone comes to you and you're wealthy enough, which I also think is an interesting part of this is sort of like. Uh, you know, I know you guys have a hard time relating to this because you're the one percent. But for the rest of us, <laughs> but for the rest of us, I mean, you know, don't you kind of feel good that like the not you know these rich people get their comeuppance? Oh, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is a certain. I mean, there's. We haven't really talked too much about uh, Hank's brother, who also inherited yes. money and apparently blew it all, and is now teaching. <laughs> Biology in a high school, right? <laughs> right, 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 right? Did you empathize with that, by the way, Daniel? Aside from them blowing it all? Yeah, because um, yeah, he keeps referring to himself as a babysitter. But um, <laughs> so, is is this a character that perhaps we should put some? Um, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about him because I mean, he's the ultimate. Uh, you know, he, he he's he's the real loser. I mean, he he. He's collateral damage, right? Yeah, I mean, right. he pays the biggest, greatest price. So is he noble? Does he because he tries to stop this? Hmm. And because he's not part of the one percent. <laughs> I'm not sure nobility enters into any of this. Well, I don't think it necessarily enters into it. It's just, it's just a question, as you know, as far as what they do. And what they're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. um, you know that that was more where my question okay. of nobility came from. Okay. But I think the brother, uh, I think the brother is totally like he, he's caught up in this. I mean, he just sort of comes into the whirlwind of you know his brother and his brothers. Like this is just like a, it's like an investment for him. It's like you know he's like a vent venture capitalist he's just got all this money from this comic you know story or whatever or or you know character slain and yeah he's just you know he just sort of gets sucked along with it It, it, he has no agency right i mean it's another it's another sibling another brother in a you know relationship whereas lena takes agency Mm -hmm. uh hank's brother does not 
mean, I guess he tries, right? He tries to free his brother from it. So that's a sense of agency, but it's also, um, you know, (laughs) he he, came up against Lena. So you're out of luck, pal. He has agency. I mean, he jumps in his car and drives two days to go to the clinic Mm. and then tries to close it down. I mean, you can't say he doesn't have agency. He's just kind of impotent and trying Uh, to affect change. That's a better word. Which makes him a member of the 99%, I suppose. (laughs) And and this may be me putting my English teacher hat on a little too tightly, but his name is Cliff. Thank you. And there's... I I almost want to make something of that because of Oh, no, I think names are really important in this. I mean... You know, I, I had one of those, you know, just before you fall asleep reservations when I realized their name was Nonner, that, that they were really non, non-people, non non-er, non-whatever. So, oh no, names are very important in this story, yeah. definitely. So he's on some sort of precipice, and, or he represents some sort of precipice? His best friend is Diana. <laughs> goddess, to, uh, goddess warrior to him. Um, what is the daughter's name? Oh, the niece? Yeah, well, Cliff's daughter. Yeah. yeah. Um, Del? Del. I don't know what you want to make of that. I don't know what I want to make of that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Although it's very he's interesting, and she's Del. That does. There is a. There is a thing. Oh, there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting, though. Panel one, ready, assistant, whenever you are, doctor. We don't know which one is the assistant and which one is the doctor. Um, she, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Kind of playing with the. Oh, I guess she's the doctor. Sorry, panel three. Del- she's she's, doctor. Playing, doctor. Yes. she's, she's playing, playing doctor. She's playing the doctor. She's playing God. She's playing the person in control, just like a lot of the people in this story are. Yeah. Yeah. Which then, does that illuminate the scene at the end where she is maybe, she had been modeling the person who she'll eventually become? Yeah. That that takes away from Cliff, though. I think you're onto something really interesting with Cliff. Yeah, I I mean, I really don't know what to make of that. I I just see, I just see the fact, now that I've realized that the, Cliff's daughter's name is Dell. Definitely, I mean, there's there's intentionality there, <clears throat> at least. What what the purpose is, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, that's one I would file away to like further development when you can think about it yeah. a little bit farther because it's good because, like I said, names do matter in this story, um, and who you know who are the people and stuff like that. Yeah, especially um, a book all about identity. It makes sense, right? Yeah, but. Manuela and do they choose their own names? No. They're assigned they to get... them. Basically, the hospital staff gives them the names. Oh, okay. All right. All right. They, when she wakes up, they say, basically, we've given you these names to to differentiate you from your other selves. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. So there's a lack of agency there. Um, it's interesting that they take the original birth names. Mm-hmm. Right? Henry, I mean, the... the oh, Henry is Hank, short for Hank. 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 Yeah. yeah. And, and Manuela is, is Molly's real name. And she's shortened it to Molly. Oh, okay. 
I didn't. I, if I if I read that, I missed it. So yeah. uh, that's a good catch. Oh sure, yeah. Well, and then also he's black, and they make a point of that. And at one point they say that she's Hispanic. Yeah. Mm. And there's that interesting piece between when um, Henry is talking to Hank about uh, Slain and talking about race, and Henry starts uh, confronting. No, Hank starts, I'm sorry, Hank starts confronting Henry about the fact that Henry's not actually black, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Boy, does that get to the idea of identity and soul then? Yeah, and I think that there is, I mean, I know that there is a lot of um, thought about race in this book. Where do you see it? I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying I'm trying to think of an example. I know the two brothers have a conversation about that. Right. And certainly and there's the, a, the Slade character also. The Slade character, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or is it Slain? Slain. Slain, I think. Yeah. 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 And um, and that conversation between uh, Hank and Henry and the fact that that the well, I'm trying to think now. Are there all the scientists white? No, they're not, are they? No, the assistant, uh, it looks like he's either, he's not white. Right. Maybe um, Indian or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could be indig- an indigenous person or something like yeah. that, yeah. And then there's also the scene with the two brothers playing basketball, which might be one yeah. of my favorite and scenes the in the whole book. That because he was black, he could play basketball, right? Yeah. yeah. Right, right. So there's that piece to identity as well. Yeah. And uh, Ezra Clayton Daniels is an African-American yes. uh, creator. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so what do you know about him? Because this is the only thing I've read by him. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about him. I know that his last book he did with uh, Ben Passmore, it's called mm. Bottom, Bottom Feeders, which is a, a lot about race and gentrification. Yeah. Um, this is not his, he's a multimedia, I read it, was reading about him uh, to get ready for this, and he's like a multimedia artist, he's not a, comics is one thing that he does, but he also does, you know, TV, if it's, that's what it is, or art installations, or whatever, it's, he's, he's well-rounded as far as that goes. Yeah, it looks like animation is part of yep. it. Yeah, my understanding is that he worked on this book for a, a very long time. Also, yeah, that it wasn't—I forget what I read about it—but uh, it it came out in sections. That this is the first time that it came out as a complete graphic novel, but it had been released in you know various parts. I believe I read that. Can we talk about the art a bit? We talked a lot about the yeah, themes, sure. which are really important. But one of the things that's really striking about the book is. It's sense of stillness and the way he repeats scenes and moments. I mean, if you start leafing through the book, you, there's so many scenes of characters moving towards each other, moving away from each other with a camera, so to speak, um, staying steady. And it really does have a strongly animated style to it. It's not showy, but it's very, it's got a sense of movement to it that's unique, I think. I think one of the things that I reacted to the art 
and I don't mean this, and I think I might have said this earlier, this isn't a detriment. It's not, it's not stylistic. You're right about that, Jason. But it's also not pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, these characters are odd-looking and strange, and if ugly is a word you want to use, I don't mean it, again, as a, as a criticism, but, you know, it's not something that leaps out at you that you sort of think, oh, this is some beautiful work of draftsmanship or whatever. It's, it's you know, easy to, easy to read, you know, you can follow it, you can follow the story as it's told, but it's not something that is super stylized or that he uses big splash pages or anything like that. It's a very controlled, very well-rendered thing. It reminded me a lot of our mutual, well, uh, you know, the only time Daniel Elkin and I have never seen eye to eye on anything. Uh, it reminded me of your of your old pal. Uh, why am I blanking on his name? Your 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 tech your buddy from Texas, Sabrina. Who did? Uh, who oh, did uh, Dick, Dick Gisato. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah, it reminded me of not quite. Uh, yeah, not no, quite. That. Because that's a lot more. That's stylized, that's right? Stylized, yeah. That's very stylized. But this, you know, but those very controlled panels, those very like conversations between people and things like that, um, that this reminded me of that as well. Because this book's a lot about two characters talking. There's not yeah. a lot of punchy, punchy, fighty, fighty. Also, like Trisano, uh Daniels uses a lot of muted colors as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just thumbing through the pages really quickly. And the thing that was jumping out at me is that there's a lot of that muted color but there's this use of a really bright red that just pops over and over and over again in very interesting places. So yeah. once again, that that shows intentionality as well. Yeah. The red is very important in this story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Um, what else did you what else spoke to you about the art, Jason? I I keep coming back to just the the movement within the pages, the pages as, this, as these organic units that um, really have this life to them. Uh, I keep looking at page after page where the so-called camera is showing um, characters in motion with a static background and that really giving life to these kind of static scenes. It's, it's a beautiful way to keep you engaged, to kind of tell the story in this very uh, steady pace, but also to kind of keep you engaged. Um, it's not a classic... Oh, there, is, there are some eight-panel grids, but it's not a classic eight-panel grid as much as, much as it is just a steady kind of page-by-page drumbeat. Right. And the fact that he has this uh, experience in animation... To me, kind of illust- is shown by the way that he's creating these scenes in ways that you can almost imagine the the. It's easy to imagine the in between moments, the Scott McCloud hat lifting moments. You know. Mm-hmm. I think that's really true. I think the other thing that makes the art, in some ways, you know, a, a challenge is this isn't the this isn't the kind of people we tell stories about very often. Mm. older elderly people or also you know uh people with deformities with handicaps with all this other stuff and i think that's another thing the book makes a great risk about or takes a risk about that is really to be uh you know 
uh, hats off, you know, a little hat tip to that because, you know, that's tough. That's, that's not, you know, that's not what most people want to read about. So despite the transhumanist, is that your word, Daniel? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I, I think using those types of characters or portraying those types of characters, not using, but portraying yeah. those characters really allows questions of identity to come to the forefront, though, because you're, if you don't directly see yourself in those characters, perhaps if you're not elderly or uh, whatever, that you, that you then have to focus on their humanity a little more. Hmm. You feel like it forces the reader out of their comfort zone in some way? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's a good way. That's what it's trying to get at. Because yeah. these are not the kind of characters who you're used to seeing in media. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Well done, boys. <laughs> so there's a... I think my favorite quote is in the book is from page... I'm turning my light here now. 151. Um, so I can say with confidence that sometimes the only way to cope is to laugh at the absurdity of all, the absurdity of the very concept of normal, the absurd arrogance of those who take pride in their normalcy, and the absurdity of caring what people think of you. Just love that. And I think in a lot of ways that sums up the book, and yet... Uh, 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 it's something the character professes. I'm not sure they actually believe. And I think it's that dichotomy in a lot of ways that gives this book so much of its power. And it's interesting that uh, on the previous page at the bottom of the, the panel prior to that, he says, uh, I did live, live a long life before this, a life strangled by the prejudices of others. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this whole moment when they, this is sort of the moment, right? This is when they, their relationship develops and sort of takes that, that next step that ultimately is going to, I mean, this is the turn in some ways that, you know, this conversation that they're having all uh, against a red background, Yeah. <laughs> you know, that they have this, that they have this conversation. And I think the normal is right. I mean, and the other thing left out of the normalcy is any sort of conversation of the quote unquote other, because that's another big thing that uh, is always in this. Uh, you define yourself by the other, mm-hmm. and how Molly Manuela, Hank, Henry Hank define themselves is how they're defined by the other version of themselves, mm-hmm. and as how they define themselves, and vice versa. Because now they've, you know, Hank has this other thing that uh, they both have this other thing that is defines them and gets back to that soul idea we were talking about earlier about, you know, who made who, who's in charge, who's really, you know, whose identity is whose. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Another piece we haven't really discussed at all, and I don't know how much we can go into it, is that there is uh, issues around gender in this book as well. Um, the male characters act in a certain way compared to the female characters. And, um, but there are some lines that are blurred. Um, but there, there is that sense of the other in that as well. How so? What do you, what go with the gender thing? Because I'm interested to hear what you have to say. 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, you have a little more license as the uh, English teacher. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't think I have much license at all. Here, <laughs> um, it, it seems to me that um, there's more of a sense of um, a lot of the f- male characters are interested in control, whereas uh, the female characters uh, are not it's not control so much it's more understanding perhaps connection yeah connection i mean there's the the woman who is the tour guide Mm -hmm. to teach in the school um her character is an interesting character in terms of that as well because she she has direct wants but she's willing to put them aside for to a degree. I'm trying to remember her whole arc there. Well, she's the one that sort of spills the beans about where the the Hank and Molly uh, Manuela come from. Right. Um, she she you know yes. she's the I want to say she's the AA. She's the administrative assistant, but she is. I mean, she sort of you know does everything. You know, the non-science stuff right. is what she's responsible for. But she's also the most humanist of all of them, where she's like, you know, she has, she steps in and she's like, y- you can't do this anymore. You know, yeah. she stops it. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, she does. Or at least yeah. she puts it in motion. Yeah. But there's the, um, what's the name of the scientist? Caleb, uh, Kenton? Caleb? No, appears, the one that appears on the TV. Um Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, doctor. Teal. Dr. Teal. Teal. Yeah. 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 Victoria Teal. Yeah, she Sorry. is... She's not a, 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 a... Whatever, a typically feminine character mm-hmm. at all. And she's played real rough, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And yet her body doesn't actually exist in the world. Not in the world of the, 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 the facility. facility. Yeah. Well, we meet her in the flashback. We do meet her in the flashback, but she's really unpleasant in the flashback. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically, it's, uh, if you want to give me money, I'll let you give me money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, I know it's there, and I haven't done enough thinking about it to, to identify all that that entails. But I think it's another binary that that Daniels is kind of exploring here. Mm. Mm. Definitely. So I think at at about an hour, I think we've given this book the attention it deserves. Is there anything else you want to say about it? I think it could deserve a little more attention, but I think we have tapped out on it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I can agree. I, I can agree there. I think the one thing that I would say, if you've made it this far into the into the podcast, and who doesn't get all the way through comics, classic comics, okay, who doesn't get this far in? This is a book you need to search out, Um, regardless of you know what you might be into or not into. This is a real novel is a good word to put it, but it's also a really good comic. I mean, let let us not forget it is a comic. Yeah, it's a good one. It's the kind of work that you, that's just going to haunt you, that's going to stick in your memory. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. 
it's not it's not like a TV show that you're gonna binge. It's not I don't know the boys, which is actually a pretty awful read. But anyway, <laughs> that's a whole different story. Uh, this is a true novel done in graphic novel format um, that really fulfills the ambitions of the medium, and it's a brilliant work. Yeah. Yep. Aren't, aren't you glad I recommended it? Yes. You're just you're you're, you're well. All your recommendations are always, you know, pristine and stellar. So, of course. <laughs> Except for that Nick Dranzo book. <laughs> that was awful! <laughs> so, Daniel. Yes. You have something very exciting going on. I, I do. You do. Oh, I do. Oh, just don't play coy. I like that. You're going to shave tomorrow and everyone's going to be happy. No. Uh, yes. Mouse Press. Uh, myself, uh, Alex Hoffman from The Sequential State, uh, Ryan Carrier of Fort Color Apocalypse, and Rob Clow of uh, High Low Comics and pretty much everywhere have all joined together uh, under the auspices of Field Mouse Press, which is a nonprofit comic-centered uh, organization uh, to promote the comics arts. Our first big project is a new hub for comics criticism and original comics and long form essays called Solrad, which will be launching in January. And we're on the way, our way to SBX uh, in order to uh, put the word out and start uh, um, trying to find some writers and some cartoonists who want to work with us as well as anyone who would like to uh give us money because we as a 501c3 we are um beholden to grants and donations all of which are tax deductible i might add (laughs) and um so part of our deal is promoting comics arts and part of our deal is doing a little hustling so this is both analysis and some great comics as well yeah and the thing about being a nonprofit uh, is that we're really not beholden to anything. Uh, we're, we can publish almost everything, anything we want, and not have to worry about some of the repercussions that other uh, sites have to worry about. That's interesting uh, comment. So, in other words, you're going to be as honest as necessary. Absolutely. Uh, and we also, one of our fundamental tenets is that oh, we're paying people to uh, put out stuff. All artists deserve payment. And that includes all of our critics and all the cartoonists working for us and all the essayists and all the people that are doing interviews. All those people will be paid at a, uh, a market, if not higher rate. And it's all been uh, laid out in our business plan, which I'd be glad to share with anyone. Yeah, actually, why don't you send it over and I'll, I'll link it on, or send the link on, and I'll link it on the uh, show notes. Oh, okay. So, as a, an old person, or an older person, wait, I am read... the older person? Or yeah, you? which of us is the old person here? <laughs> yeah. As the youngest, oldest person, um, <laughs> I read Field field Mice, right? Field Mouse Press. Mouse. Field Mouse Press. The press part is what interested me when I saw this announcement. Are we talking about printing at some yeah. point and having yeah. a physical thing? Yes. 
can you talk about why you chose to do that and as opposed to keeping things digital why you, you gotta be at the old Rizzo graph machine there Elkin, cranking <laughs> that out. Uh, well we because in order to promote comics arts to its full extent we need to have as many comics into the uh, audience as possible and so uh, if we are finding works that are not being recognized um, that we are in love with, we'll do what we can to make them see the light of day. Um, I, you know, these are all sort of our next phases, so we just need to, to get our, our feet on the ground first. Um, but that is the goal, eventually, yes. Hmm. This plan of, of having a physical copy for something, uh, physical uh book at some point but the digital content is all full steam ahead right that's that's the going to be the first and foremost what you're going to try for january starting january we will launch you can go to uh solrad.co right now and sign up for our newsletter uh, it, it does exist as well as uh, you could go to fieldmouse.press and uh find out a little bit more about us there um yeah big things big big so in terms of what you're covering, uh, so like Upgrade Soul was published by Lion Forge, would you still cover books like that? I think so. I think or fanographics or any yeah. other? Okay. Yeah. I, I, our goal is to cover uh, as much interesting stuff as we can that's not really getting coverage in a lot of the other sites. Um, we, we're focused on small press uh, and individual books, but... Uh, Things like Fantagraphics and Line Forge, if they're doing interesting things, we'll certainly uh, keep an eye out for that stuff as well. Podcast two? Maybe. We right now currently, uh, Alex Hoffman at Sequential State and myself at Your Chicken Enemy, we have a podcast called Enemies of the State uh, that we do. We pull in critics from all over and examine a book. Uh, for now, we're actually going to be doing a live version of that at SPX this year, uh, talking to Carolyn Noack about her book, Girl Town. Um, and so that'll be interesting because we've never actually had a had the cartoonist with us as we've discussed their book. So this is going to be a whole new world for us. Mm. Uh, I was actually debating reaching out to Ezra Clayton Daniels, who's on Twitter, to ask him to join us. But I thought it would be more interesting for us to talk without the artist um, give our analysis because uh, then you get to the question of intentionality versus what you get out of the work. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I've I've been in I've been uh, in many of our conversations and they're very good. You don't need the author there. <laughs> but, uh, you know. but it, it does add a whole nother layer to the conversation. It does. It does. But be interesting. And I, I I'm I'm actually frightened and fascinated as to what all is going to happen uh, at this uh, panel. I'm excited. Are you, to see how hand, are you handling editing duties? Is that what you're going to continue to do, Daniel? Uh, well, I am president of Field Mouse Press. <laughs> well, I know. Oh, uh, am I because, supposed to salute you, sir? I know. Yes. We decided, we decided to incorporate in California because California has some of the most um, generous arts grants uh, of all the states, and so by locating ourselves in California, where I'm, where I live. Um, that will give us access to a lot of that grant funding, hmm. and so it—that's how I'm president. Ah. <laughs> okay. Uh, at Solrad, I will be taking on uh, editorial duties. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. As well as doing some writing, if I could ever start writing again. 
Oh, brother, here we go. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Hey, talk about Peter Gabriel. <laughs> well, mine's not perfectionist. It's lazy. Oh, okay. <laughs> hmm. You got me You're thinking about writing, too. I want to do, I need to do more writing. It makes me happy. So, uh, and, and for the time being, I will continue your chicken enemy uh, until the end of the year. Um, got some plans around um, doing another Books We Liked series at the end of December. And then at December, uh, there'll be no new content at Your Chicken Enemy, but it will still remain up because there's such incredible writing there. Excellent. I'm so excited for you, Daniel. This is such a great next step for you. It's exciting. Yeah, I... Uh, pride uh, for what you've accomplished and what you're going to accomplish in the future. Uh, I'm just brimming with it. Very, very proud and very happy for you. And um, yeah, I just, when I heard about it, I thought, oh, okay. Dumbass had a plan after all. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting because I originally reached out to Alex and Ryan and Rob with the intention of. Uh, because we all have four separate sites and we have four separate Patreons and we're doing our own hustles. And I thought it would just make sense for us to sort of band together and sort of um, increase that exposure that way. And then Alex Hoffman was the one who said, you know, if we become a nonprofit, that opens up a whole nother uh, set of opportunities for us. So that's kind of how it all snowballed. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. And it is. And now I have to learn how to network. Yikes. Oh, you're, yeah, that'll oh, be no problem. <laughs> and ask people for buddy. Oh, oh, that's tough. Oh, that's tough. Well, yeah, not looking forward to either of those. But I am looking forward to meeting a lot of new people and uh, working with some uh, really talented people. Uh, our logo, I don't know if you noticed, uh, Field Mass was uh, done by Sophia Foster Dimino who is wow. an amazing cartoonist in her own right. Um, I might be giving away too much, but I'm going to just throw it out there anyway. Our uh, logo for Solrad was done by uh, Julia Graffer. Oh, nice. Wow. And so... Look at this kid. We've right? We've some pretty nice looking stuff. We knew Daniel Wynn. And yeah. I got to say that uh, the, the work that Alex has done on Solrad already... Uh, in the on the back end, it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful site. That's oh, so excited for you, man. Yeah, yeah. And don't yeah, don't downplay great. your networking skills. When we saw you at Mice, <laughs> we saw a man in his element. Oh yeah, it's oh, helpful yeah. that uh, there's so many just wonderful people in the world of comics. So. Oh, that's very true. Very yeah. true. And I'm talking to two of them. (laughs) Guys, this has been fantastic. We need to do this again. Yes. Thank you very much. Thanks for doing the Comics Cavalcade. Take the classic out of it. The Comics Cavalcade podcast this week. See, I'm playing with this whole thing where I I add and remove certain words so I can take... (laughs) You're just making it your own little baby. My own little baby, baby. yeah. I have to say, content aside, my favorite thing is when you read the ads. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's like you need like an op pad, like 
I'm like, there's old Jason shucking and jiving out there. Like, come on, you want this website? I'm like, I do, I do. Yeah, I get my dollar per 100,000 listens or something. It's exciting. <laughs> Oh, thank you.